This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, July 24th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. The state of the world is generally improving, but that's a hard sell when bad news dominates. And there are good reasons to believe that technology and ingenuity will continue to help humans forge better, longer lives for a good long while. Ronald Bailey of Reason Magazine and the Cato Institute is author of the new book, The End of Doom. We spoke yesterday. Where has the precautionary principle led us with respect to uh, environmental issues? I summarize the precautionary principle the following way. Never do anything for the first time. Basically, it's a principle that requires that anyone who introduces a new technology or a new process to prove that it will be completely safe. There is no trial without error. We learn from failure. We do not learn from success. So it's basically a principle that would stop all progress if it were implemented thoroughly the way the environmental community would like to do it. And it's extremely dangerous for the environment because what we find is that newer technologies use less resources over time and provide greater safety for human beings. And how do we know that? Because people are living a lot longer with less disease, less stability uh, than they were with, uh, when they were, had to rely on older, less safe technologies. How has uh, the precautionary principle been baked into our, I guess, public policy with respect to the environment? Uh, it, it's fairly complicated, but one of the things that what you find is, is that when you're trying to approve a new technology, our, our best example of that is not in the environmental arena, but it's in the Food and Drug Administration. And basically, the Food and Drug Administration requires a, a, a lot of evidence that a new drug would be uh, not only effective but safe. And what this does is slow down the getting of medicines to people. And, ex- and we have really good examples of that. We, what we've been able to do is to look at a situation where drugs were being approved much more rapidly in the 90s than they are now. And it turns out that uh, what you find is that by delaying drugs, you kill 10 times more people than you might have saved by preventing a bad drug from getting out. So this means that we had the incentives wrong. We're being way too cautious about this. Similarly, with uh, things like genetically modified crops, people are trying to argue that genetically modified crops have not been proven to be safe. Yet, as a matter of fact, we wouldn't have known that until we've actually put them out on the landscape. And it turns out that every independent scientific group in the entire world that has evaluated the crops find them safe for humans and safe for the environment. Uh, yet, we, are, we treat them as though they are uh, ipso facto dangerous, and they're not. What do you take to be something among the issues that you look at in your book? Which one uh, concerns you the most with respect to not having uh, something on the horizon that uh, might fix the problem? Well, let me think about it this way. Two things. One is is that uh, I'm very anxious. I talk about population trends in the book. I'm very anxious for people to be able to have as many children as they would like to have and because I find that if you do that, most people will choose to have uh, fewer than two children. Most particularly women would do that. So one of the technologies I would like to see spread more widely is safe, available contraception to women. In fact, if these, there are about 75 uh, million uh, women who are, don't have access to contraception, if they did have it, uh, that, that, who want it, if they did have it, then world population increases would be at or below replacement already, not, not in the future. So that would be a technology I'd like to see spread more that is available now. Uh, with regard to the vexed problem of climate change, I think that one of the problems we have is we subsidize energy of various forms, and that's not solving the problem. So first thing we do is we get rid of energy subsidies. Secondly, we figure out 
or, de- or privatize as much as possible the production of energy uh, so that we can know what the actual price is. Uh, the problem is for electricity, for example, has been regulated since there was electricity essentially for over a decade. So we really don't know what a market price for electricity would be. But once we've, de- once we've uh, deregulated that, we would have a better idea and then we'd know what uh, technologies would be appropriate for producing this energy. My bet would be that nuclear power, for example, would become very popular at that point and that would go a long way towards solving whatever problems we're going to have with climate change from burning fossil fuels. A lot of people who are very concerned about uh, climate change have recently come around to uh, nuclear power. Do you think that will continue? I think it will continue um, largely because, how shall I say, I'm not as concerned as some people, though I am concerned about climate change. But the people who are very concerned about it are slowly but surely recognizing that the renewable technologies that they would prefer are very primitive and very clunky. Nuclear power provides baseline power, uh, the kind of power you need when the sun doesn't shine or the wind doesn't blow. And so they are becoming very aware of that. The other good news is there are fantastic new safe designs for all kinds of reactors out there. There's a traveling wave reactor that can use, actually use uh, nuclear waste to fuel it uh, as fuel and would solve a lot of the, uh, waste, the nuclear waste problem. Then there's thorium reactors. There's a whole bunch of things that are on the horizon that could contribute uh, in a major way to solving that problem. How concerned are you based on your research about uh, super bugs, that is uh, viruses or uh, bacteria that have – uh, been nudged along by our broad use of antibiotics and uh, other products? Uh, the, I actually don't really discuss that in the book. But the answer is, is that it is a problem. But one of the problems is, again, that there are a lot of – there's a lot of uh, very preliminary research on really excellent antibiotics out there, new ones that are not yet available. And the problem is, is that our regulatory system is really slowing down their development. So we can stay ahead of the bugs using technology. The other thing is we have to stop overusing the antibiotics we have, uh, which we are doing. Uh, Every time you get a cold, somebody goes to the doctor and he gives you an antibiotic. Most of the time it's a virus and will have no effect on you anyway. So we need to to be more careful about that. And we can be because very soon you will be able to go to your doctor's office. He will be able to give you a blood test and tell you right then what it is that's causing your problem. And if it's susceptible to an antibiotic, he can give it to you then. But if it isn't, then he will uh, not do that and, and therefore spare it and save it for those cases when it would be useful. What do you tell people who seem immune to information, uh, the, the scientific literature and data on the subject? One of the – and I discussed this in the book quite a bit. Um, the, a lot of the, the issues that I talk about have been politicized. And by what happens is, is that when a scientific issue becomes politicized, it is not about the data and the evidence anymore. It's about signaling to other people who are in your ideological group, who are your friends and your neighbors, the people you hang out with, that you're a good person. And so one of the things if, if you know – If you're an English professor at uh, New York University and you say you don't think global warming is a big problem, you won't have as many friends. On the other hand, if you're uh, someone working in Oklahoma City where the oil companies are based and you say, I think global warming is a big problem, you might lack for friendship as well. So when things get politicized, you don't care about the evidence so much because you're trying to get along with your neighbors. And so you're impervious not – because you're impervious to the information because you're trying to 
manage your social life, not the way the facts are. We talked about the precautionary principle and if uh, certain agencies that are charged with approving or not approving drugs were really concerned about death, they, they might approve drugs more rapidly rather than less rapidly. But that seems to be baked into their incentives that the visible death caused by a drug we did approve is necessarily going to be something that's going to harm the agency and politicians more than the deaths that we can't. It's the old Bastiat problem. Uh, French economist Bastiat talked about the problem of the seen and the unseen. And in this case, the death that is caused by a drug that the FDA approves of is the seen problem. But the deaths of the people who don't get the drugs that would otherwise have been approved, that have been delayed in approval, they're the unseen deaths. And since they're unseen, the incentive structure is to always focus on the seen ones. And so you end up killing more people than you're saving. So, for example, what you might do about the uh, FDA situation is essentially uh, we are getting to the point where uh, pharmaceutical companies and biologists are getting better at predicting how drugs are going to react. And we're going to get even a lot better than that as genetic technologies come along. And so what will happen is that things that work in the test tube and then that work in, in lab animals – we will have a much better idea if they're going to work in humans than we do currently. So we won't have to go through this long process of uh, basically using uh, clinical trials. What will happen is, is that someone like me who is more eager to take advantage of new technologies to perhaps solve a, a cure an illness that I have will sign a waiver saying I want to be treated with this drug now. It's, I know it's only stage two and that's fine. And by doing that, I will essentially be enrolling myself into a clinical trial. And so one way to do this is to shift the incentives, if you will, to the patients, allow them to take advantage of the technologies and not wait for the gatekeepers at the FDA to give them permission to do that. Ronald Bailey is author of The End of Doom. You can watch a forum for the book at our website, cato.org.